Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I've got a slight problem with something that happened in an exercise, yogury, stretchy class. Was it farting? The worst nightmare. <laughs> farting, farting. It must be farting. Listen, I went to a class. I mean, it was restorative. So mm. obviously slightly slower than normal, but an older lady than me. Lovely. Let rip. Oh, Trish. she did. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't know what to do because I'm very oh, childish. Yeah. And, and found it very, very funny. Oh. And the teacher just carried on as if nothing had happened. And there were only five of us in the class. Oh, no, poor lady. It echoed. It echoed around the empty hall. What's the etiquette? She didn't seem that worried. She went, oh, sorry. Oh, good for her. Yes. Acknowledge it, move on. Is that the way? Absolutely. Acknowledge it, move on, have a laugh, I'd say. And now, obviously, I think that's, you know, that's a possibility, isn't it? It's going to happen to you. Will it happen? Has it happened to you? Um, I did it once in a headstand, which was rather embarrassing. <laughs> Coming out of a headstand. An upside down wind <gasps> release. Upside down. I mean, defying the laws of gravity. You should get a medal for that, Trish. Some kind of Olympic medal. Definitely. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens, via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Here we go. Spring has sprung and I expect you're getting a little frisky. Now the snowdrops are poking their leaves out of the ground, aren't you, Trish, like you always do at this time of the year? Yes, I love spring. My hellebores are out and I always know it's spring because um, Margot, the podcast coat, starts to shed and get a bit matted. So I have to start grooming her, which is a bit of a pain. But I'm having a small panic too, as I have just realised We've both got quite a lot to do, haven't we? Yes. We've got a lot coming up over the next few weeks. We're going to be ramping up our Instagram presence because we went on a course. We know what we're doing now at last. Obviously, we've got more episodes of this series to record. We're planning Series 9, getting guests on board for that. And we're also getting ready for our live two-day show in May. Da, da, da. To continue the spring theme, we are busy little bees. Mm. Don't worry, young Trish, because uh, it will be fun. And I am here for you. I have decided to set up the midlife helpline or the midlife hotline. See hot. See what I did. <laughs> Definitely. Did that yes. There for you. Is that going to be useful for you, young Trish? Oh, so you're manning the phones. That's yeah. a, a new service you're offering. Well, I have to say, 
I think you're very good at giving advice. Very good advice. Your agony aunt suggestions a couple of weeks ago in the episode were really helpful. As long as it's you and not militant, your <laughs> ranting feminist alter ego, that will be fine. Uh, shall I dial up now then? It me, as the kids say. It me. <laughs> okay, so here we go. So bring, bring, bring. That's you, Trish, <laughs> calling my midlife hotline. I say, hello and welcome to the helpline for overwhelmed, slightly sweatier than normal, sleep deprived and cross midlife women who don't care what anyone thinks anymore. I'm here for you, caller. I uh, just got to ask you a few questions to establish that you are actually a woman in midlife. Right. Okay. Well, I hope they're going to be sensible questions like the ones we ask on our private Facebook group for anyone who wants to join. There's just three questions you have to answer. Just want to crowbar that in there. <laughs> caller, they will be, uh, mm -hmm. and I think they will resonate. Listen to me, caller. Uh, have you left your keys in the fridge and forgotten the word for teabag today? <laughs> Certainly have. Have you lost your temper with any of the white goods in the house in the manner of Basil Fawlty? <laughs> yes, the washing machine got it this morning. Does your husband or partner's relentless humming make you murderous? Well, the snoring certainly does, that's for sure. And finally, caller, do you keep unnecessarily apologising for all of the above? Always, all day long, for sure. Well, then you are definitely a woman in midlife. How can I help you? What is your question? Well, I am actually very excited, but also a bit nervous about today's guest, as I'm a bit of a fan. I put her on the cover of Marie Claire back in the day when I was in charge there. Um, and here's a clue. She is reminding me that I'm 56 this year, in a couple of months, and uh, the reality is sunk in that I will never win a Blue Peter badge. How do I get over that midlife hotline person? Oh, it's a melancholy tough one, Miss Halpin. Mm -hmm. um, I do get a lot of Gen X callers asking this very question. And obviously, <laughs> I can't turn back time because if I could turn back time, I would be sat here in a bikini listening to Club Tropicana and brushing sun in through my hair. Mm -hmm. But I can get you six degrees of separation from a Blue Peter badge because we do have Sophie Ellis-Bexter on the show today. Singer, author, cookbook writer, podcaster, dancer, mum of five boys, five mm -hmm. boys, I say. Um, so she's busier than you. So that caller should make you feel a little bit better. Yes. And even with your brood, your massive mm. brood, you can't top that, can yeah. you? <laughs> and so are you going to ask her then, Lorraine, if she is going to give me a badge? Because she is the daughter of Janet Ellis, isn't she? Our favourite Blue Peter star, apart from Shep the Collie and uh, Shelley the Tortoise. <laughs> We have talked about them, haven't we? We have. Um, I can't promise you a badge, but I can, I think I can coax her into telling us how she would ensure more people than you'd think would get a Blue Peter badge. It's quite a good story. Is that at all helpful for you, caller? Well, it is. It gives me a little warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Better than your prunes, because they make you warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> oh, you do upside down headstands, don't they? <laughs> and because we've got Sophie on as a guest, we're going to continue our music theme. And we're going to create a postcard from Midlife Playlist because everybody loves a little sing-along, especially you, Trish. Yes, my vocal cords are always at the ready, <laughs> unfortunately for you. I love your idea of creating a postcard from Midlife Playlist because it's going to be all the songs, isn't it, that take us back to happy, happy times, happy days. Yes. Now, I did uh, sort of steal this idea because I was watching the J-Lo Turning 50 documentary on Netflix. Netflix, which I highly recommend. Um, it's her prep for the Super Bowl performance. Mm -hmm. It's just so brilliant because the songs, the songs are so good and it goes right the way back through her career. And I'd forgotten how brilliant so many of them were. Is that your cue for me to sing Jenny from the Block? No, it's not. Oh, okay. 
don't think we want to. Okay, I'm going to hold it in. I'm going to hold Have it in. you gyrating on a pole singing <laughs> Jenny from the Block? Anyway, let's move on, pop fans, because we are going to blatantly mirror a tried and tested audio format and pick three songs with a personal meaning, which we would take to, I don't know, Desert Island, maybe, with us. Mm. Um, And we'll also pick one song that we never want to hear again, just for fun. Um, And then you, our lovely listeners, can take our six songs and start the Postcards from Midlife playlist on the private Facebook group. So this is what we would call the ultimate nostalgia noodle. And before you know it, listeners, I think it will be me that does this, I will create a Spotify playlist for fans of the show and we can share all our songs and you can take them off to your desert island. Static caravan in Cornwall. (laughs) How about that? So don't say we don't ever give you anything on this show. So Trish, I'm going to start by asking you for your first song on the playlist and we're going to try and be slightly unusual, not um, put songs everybody would immediately think of. Um, And please don't include a song that you're going to get played at your funeral, because we have discussed that. We've done that. Our in and out songs, haven't we? We do know that. And it's mm. personal meaning. And also, I can't have any talk of funerals, as you know, what with my mm. death obsession. And I think we've got to outlaw ABBA because, you know, everybody loves ABBA. So these are going to be special, lesser known, nostalgic songs. Where do we start, Trish? What's number one for you? All right. So these are these are for times in our life that have like yes. really important significance. So I've gone back to 1981 and I've picked... Earth, Wind and Fire, Let's Groove. Let's Groove tonight. I'm not going to sing. sing. (laughs) The reason I'm picking that, well, first of all, you cannot not dance to that song. You have to. There is just no way you cannot start boogieing to that song. I was 13 back then. I was really getting into disco. And um, my older sister had bought George Benson's Give Me the Night album. Did you have that? Yes. Yes, that was very good. And I thought, right, I need to do something here. So I bought Earth, Wind and Fire, the single Let's Groove. We just loved music. We used to do the dances in the sitting room. It was very, very special. So it's lovely memories of my sister. But also, if you look at that video of Earth, Wind and Fire, I mean, no way you cannot smile. There's about eight of them, isn't there? And they're wearing all these massive Lurex gold shoulder pads and headbands. And they're doing this sort of slidey, groovy dance. So I'm just trying to do it, aren't I? My chair, chair dance. (laughs) And I just think it's of that era. I had the Shalimar Friends album, Night to Remember. So, yes, that's my number one. Sister, discovering disco dancing back in the 80s, uh, massive shoulder pads. The birth of Trish Disco Queen. Exactly. That's where it all began. The moment you came out. Yes. Shaking your booty. (laughs) Is that what they say? Well, some people say it, but maybe you shouldn't. Right. Okay. What about you? What's your first one? Well, I've not gone disco. I've gone for a song that um, it meant a lot to me as a teenager, but actually throughout my life, it's on my travel playlist. So when I go anywhere special, and I always think people should have a little travel playlist. I like to listen to it. It makes me sort of feel like that moment in time when you're kind of so hopeful as a teenager Mm. and your whole life's in in front of you. And I like to feel that feeling when I go traveling. So I have chosen Hole of the Moon, 1985 by the Water Boys. Mm -hmm. It was that or or Echo and the Bunnymen, Bring on the Dancing Horses. But I think Hole of the Moon means more to me personally. Boyzone covered it. And why is that? Why is that? Boy, no. Well, forget that. Moving on. Why is it so important? Because in my all-in-one stirrup leggings, do you remember them? (laughs) I had those. Were they not also called ski pants? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Stirrup leggings, ski pants. I used to have a black pair of those. I used to have a skin-tight 
black vests and I used to dance to Hole of the Moon by the Waterboys at yes. the Colton Sweet Disco in Liscard. Oh, there we are. On a Friday or Saturday night. People used to just go mad when it came on. Mm. You can't really dance to it. You can just sort of wave your arms yes. around. Yes, bit sort of anthemic, isn't it? It is anthemic. And I used to listen to it a lot when I went on uh, trips for work when I was a journalist because obviously you went on all these big trips on your own. So I had, you know, music on my Walkman. I had no Instagram to play with or look at, did you? No attention from people on Instagram. No. So I had to do that. And it has that wonderful line, I pictured a rainbow and you held it in your hands. And I think that's my favourite lyric. That's beautiful. But you have just taken me to something else, which is I remember I had a pair of pearls purple velvet ski pants from Next with a zip that zipped up at the side. They were fabulous. Yeah. Got a lot of compliments in those. Do you think we should uh, try and wear the, both of them again? Wear them again? We need to find some. For our new Instagram rebirth. <laughs> we could do a whole trying on ski pants session. No, let's not do we? that. That is not what we were taught. What's number two for you? Number two is Only Love Can Break Your Heart by St. Etienne. Interesting. Do you remember that? I have a vague memory of it. I wouldn't dream of singing it. This might be slightly obscure, so you're going to have to look it up and listen to it. So St. Etienne were that indie sort of music pop trio, the gorgeous Sarah Cracknell fronted them. So they were back in 1990 now, so just left uni. Neil's career as a photographer is taking off. I'm trying to kind of make my way into magazines. And this band emerge and they have this amazing album called Fox Space Alpha. You know me at the time, very trendy, dancing on stage with the Smiths, all of that kind of thing. Did you just say very trendy? (laughs) That's not what I was supposed to say. Very cool. I was very cool. Used to go and see bands all the time, all of that sort of stuff. But when I met Neil... I said, oh, what kind of music you liked, assuming that he would say, you know, The Smiths or Joy Division or whoever. He said, oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I kind of like blues. I just oh, thought, dear. right, OK. <laughs> Bye-bye. I'm going to just have to move on from this because I like this guy. Let's not make music a thing. Anyway, so when this album came out and I was like, you know, really into this Only Love Can Break Your Heart, played it for him and he went, but that's Neil Young. That's Neil's Young Only Love Can Break Your Heart. And I was like, who is Neil Young? Who is Neil Young? I didn't know who Neil Young was. Didn't know any of that. So he then introduced me to all the whole Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Very different versions of that song. Whenever it comes on, my version, Dancy, his version, little romantic, little smoochy waltz around the kitchen. Isn't that lovely? So that's why that song is important to me. So... Romance for me, importance of your next song, Lorraine, what's that going to be? All of my heart, um, ABC. (laughs) Right, that sounds quite romantic. So so if I were ever to go on Desert Island Discs, Mm -hmm. putting that out there for the universe, maybe I should write that in my journal, Trish, maybe that's and then it will happen. Anyway, if I ever were to go, I would have this in my uh, mm. one of my Desert Island songs because I have this really vivid memory, and God knows I can't remember anything else in life these days, of the first time I came home. I left home when I was 17. My dad drove me up to London, settled me in, and then I went back a couple of weeks later to see the family, mm-hmm. and I had to get the train back on my own. And I was a bit sad, as you can imagine, 17 on my own, back to my B&B, because we still hadn't found anywhere for me to live yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I was listening to uh, a kind of mixtape thing on my Walkman, and all of my heart came on just as I was coming 
there's that am- amazing bit of track on the train uh, when you come up from Cornwall where you are literally by the sea and it's almost oh, like you're in that. the sea. Yeah, you beautiful. go through Dawlish and Torquay yes. and along yeah, there. And through Devon. And mm. every time now that we do this, and we do this journey quite a lot, as you can imagine, because we go back and forward a lot to Cornwall, Whenever that bit of the train happens, mm. I just can't not hear that song in my head. It's just can't it's, hear it's, Martin help, but hear Martin Fry. Martin Fry, Martin lovely Fry. Martin Fry singing. I hope and I pray that maybe one day you'll walk in the room with my heart. Yeah, I just oh. love that song so much. It's 1982. Yeah, I think they made a video like a year later or something, and it just it was in the charts for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. And it really reminds me of being on a train coming back from Cornwall or oh. going back to Cornwall. So yes. I thought um, oh. that's a nice one to have, isn't it? Because that was a pivotal part of my life journey. 1982. So the song was had been out for about ten years by the time you were doing this train yes. journey. But yes. 1982, 41 years ago. Let's not do the maths on that. Let's no, I not. never do any maths under <laughs> any circumstances for any reason. What have you got for me now? Oh, right. This one. This is actually quite emotional. This is no, it's not just quite emotional for me. It's very, very emotional for me. And it's also a name drop, Lorraine, but it's tinged with a lot of joy and sadness. Are you ready for this? Are you going to upset me and make me cry? Well, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to cry, actually. So, anyway, it is um, Manic Street Preachers, yes. Motorcycle Emptiness. Yes. Do you remember that? 1992. Yeah. Completely talking about anthems, rocky, you rock out to Manics. that. Yeah. Love the Manics. And um, Neil actually used to photograph them a lot back in his music photographing days. And we'd go and see them play. And... Um, just my favourite song. It, you can just kind of lose it to that. And then when we moved into our first house about a year later, we became really good friends with this amazing couple called Steve and Jackie Brown. Still great friends today. Jackie, one of my best friends. And um, Steve was the Mannix producer and he ah. produced that song. So, of course, I was absolutely in awe. But yeah. it gets better, Lorraine. Wait till you hear this. Guess what he also produced? What did you mention earlier on in the show? Oh, no, don't tell me. Don't, uh, uh, I don't know. I've already forgotten earlier in the show. Club Tropicana. You're joking. No, he did. He produced Club Tropicana. Oh. Anyway, so how amazing. Anyway, we've been friends for over 30 years and my kids grew up with them. But unfortunately, Steve died two years ago which is, you know, obviously still makes me quite emotional. But whenever we play that song as a family, usually when we've had a few drinks together, we all get very emotional, but we all kind of scream and jump up and down, top of our voice. It's amazing. Oh, you would put that on your Desert Island disc. Absolutely. That is coming with me. It'll make me shout, it'll make me jump, it'll make me cry. So I love all of that. I love it. That is good. Yes, I'm going to pause now so I can (gasps) take a breath. You tell me your third one. You stroke that cat. (laughs) joy back into your life Mm. so my uh third one well i was stuck because i didn't really know i mean three is such a small number isn't it so yes i have chosen every day i write the book by elvis costello which came out in 1983 which is on everyone's playlist in the Mm, whole of the world beautiful um i wanted to choose toto by africa because (laughs) africa by toto my um that's it africa by toto (laughs) my my 20 year old has just put it on her 21st birthday playlist and she's been playing it for years and years and years it's such a cross generational song but I chose the Elvis Costello because I'm a massive Elvis Costello fan Mm -hmm. he's an amazing musician but when I was in London living on my own I got the little flat in Streatham sharing with some New Zealanders Um, and I didn't get back to see my parents much because it was so expensive to go back and forth and I'm a terrible terrible driver so it would be perilous for me to drive Mm -hmm. 
for that long a journey. But my dad, who was a policeman, then got stationed up in Marlow, which is not far outside London, to do to do some work for sort of six months because um, he got sent all over the place um, mm-hmm. as a policeman. And I remember I then got to see my dad a bit more, which was just joyous because I could sort of see him at weekends and, I, you know, it was only an hour's journey. And I would drive and I, because I worked quite long hours on the paper, I would drive mostly at night time up the M4 and I used to listen to all of Elvis Costello, <laughs> the whole albums, all the way back and forward as mm-hmm. I was driving. And this one used to get, and I remember saying, I will write a book one day because I remember getting out of the car and chatting to my dad and he'd say, what have you been doing? I said, I've been listening to a bit of Elvis Costello. And he'd say, oh, you should write a book one day. And I said, oh, yeah, I will write a book one day. So I have written a book and it, it mm. is just sort of, it really reminds me of the times I spent with my dad because we were on our own. So normally when you see your family, you're, it's like all of you and you're, you know, and I, I just had that sort of joy of being able to spend a bit of time with him see what he was doing at work. You never really see your dad in a working environment either, do you? So that particular Elvis Costello brings that back for me, which is, I think, just a lovely memory to have, isn't it? Can I just say, you haven't just written one book, have you? You've written two books. I've written another one. I have blanked that from my memory. That's coming out very soon. Oh, my God, I'm going to be calling the midlife hotline about that, I tell you. (laughs) It's so stressful. Listen, listeners, you yes. better all buy it. Otherwise, the agony, the agony that yes, I went through for that. Also, exactly. thank you, listeners, because I know some of you are included in it and some of your stories are, are in it. So, yes, that's out on May the 25th, shortly after our... Our live show. Our live show. Da, da, da. We have also included, haven't we, in this little playlist, we mm. won't put them on the Spotify list, but we think they're fun to chat about, some songs that you can't get out, the earworm songs, as I call them, what have you got, Trish? So this is songs that we really never, ever, ever want, want to hear, to hear ever again. again. I mean, obviously, there's a list of Agadoo, Cheeky Girls, all of that. That would be too obvious. I'm going for anything by status quo, <laughs> but especially that one about being in the army. Oh, can we include Phil Collins as well? <laughs> oh, I like Phil Collins. Two oh. hearts beating okay, no. right. no, What's okay. the, Remind me the status quo in the army. Oh, it's something about you're in the army oh, no, now. Oh, terrible, terrible. And I think it came on the radio the other day and I thought, why? I erased it. that and they and it's brought it back in. I just can't bear it. I just remember when they used to come on Top of the Pops, it was the most disappointing thing, wasn't it? When they were like, <laughs> and now we've got status quo playing <laughs> in the army now. Didn't like that. Well, I have was going to put down... Anything by the Wiggles. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Wiggles. <laughs> They're the, the kids, the little kids thing. Yeah. The Australians, yes, were colourful tops, didn't they? Oh, my goodness. All of them, all four children loved their Dorothy oh. the Dinosaur song. So we had it, you know, relentlessly for a decade. And I mm. can't even hear the first few bars of it. But there is a little song as well, which my lovely Mabel, uh, who's 11, who loves playing piano, was asked to do a little recital. And instead of picking a classical bit that she practised, she chose Golden Brown by the Stranglers. Oh, I love that. Oh, but you've heard it to death now. Which was lovely and is one of my favourite songs. Well, was one of my favourite songs, but (laughs) it is played relentlessly at about triple the speed. Oh. (laughs) So much so, the neighbours said, is it possible to move the piano away from the wall? Because <laughs> I don't think we can hear Golden Brown again. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> very, very well done, Mabel. Annoying the neighbours. 
And that makes us sound very grand that we have a piano, but we actually rent the piano. People do these things. That's okay. That's that's okay. (laughs) Anyway, so that's where we are. So lovely listeners, we will put this on the Facebook group and we will ask you underneath to put uh, your songs. Try and pick something that's meaningful and you can put a quick line about why it matters Mm -hmm. to you. And then after a week or so, I'll put them all together and we will have a Spotify playlist called Postcards from Midlife. And you can all share it and maybe play it at your parties. I don't know. It just sounds like a thing that we could have in the background at one of our events, Trish, as well. Oh, what, like what? Like postcards from midlife life, nineteenth, twentieth yeah. May in London. Tickets available. Postcards from midlife dot co dot uk. That's the one. That's yes. the one. We've got it all off our chest now, and it's time <laughs> to meet the real star of the show, the disco diva, the queen of pop. Before there's a murder on the dance floor. But you better not kill the groove. <laughs> This week's special guest is here to sprinkle some midlife joy and help us get our groove on. She is Sophie Ellis-Baxter. The singer, DJ, author and mum of five has been filling dance floors since she hit the number one spot with Groove Jet, If This Ain't Love, back in 2000. And hits such as Murder on the Dance Floor, Take Me Home and Crying at the Discotheque have kept us all coming back for more ever since. In 2003, she met Richard Jones, bass player of the band The Feeling. And within six weeks, they were expecting their first child, Sonny, who is now 18. They have since had four more sons, Kit 14, Ray 10, Jesse 7 and Mickey 4. And they regularly perform together, as well as writing the cookbook, Love, Food, Family, Recipes from a Kitchen Disco. It was during lockdown that Sophie started to entertain the nation with her weekly videos of her and the family belting out karaoke and dancing in their sparkle-strewn kitchen. And so the kitchen disco phenomenon was born, which has since included a sell-out tour as well as a weekly DJ slot playing party tunes on Radio 2. In 2021, Sophie released her autobiography, Spinning Plates, Music, Men, Motherhood and Me, in which she wrote about her time on Strictly Come Dancing and her upbringing with her mother, Blue Peter presenter Janet Ellis and TV director Robin Baxter. She says, I do spin plates, but over the years I've let a few joyfully smash and hopefully I've learnt a bit too. She joins us today, a few weeks ahead of her 44th birthday, to tell us what she's learned and her plans and aspirations for midlife. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Sophie. Hello, thank you for having me. Let's start with the phenomenon that is Kitchen Disco, because it's all about finding joy through music, dancing, singing. Have you had a boogie yet today or is it too early in the morning? I have actually. I um, We have music on in the house quite a lot anyway. The radio's on downstairs. Um, I've got songs I'm learning for something I'm doing tomorrow. And also I've got a tour next week. So I've got lots of music on my mind. I sort of sing along to stuff all the time. My little ones dance a lot. So, yeah, I think I think I do it all. I'm probably quite annoying. I do do it a lot, even if it's just a little shimmy here and there. <laughs> is it a crazy routine in the morning with the five of them? I mean, is your 18-year-old still at home? He is, yeah. Yeah, he's just in his last year of school. Yeah, you have to just stick to the timings, really. But we're in quite a good spot. It's not too bad. Sometimes for me, I just find it a little bit relentless because it's like I'm the human alarm clock. I wake up first and then get everybody up and everybody has different times they have to leave. I've got my sort of first shift, which is with my eldest two, so both my teenagers. And then once they're out, then I go and get up the primary school too. And then the nursery kid is usually there for the whole of it. He's sort of just sort of watching. 
it's not too bad. It's like we kind of have to prep the night before. Everything's laid out the night before. The thing I find quite funny is in the morning where I say, what do you want for breakfast? And they say, what have we got? And it's like, it's literally the same thing every morning. <laughs> it is what it is, yeah. <laughs> I always think being the youngest is the nicest, isn't it? Is that's the kind of, I just think they just watch everything and they, they're storing it all for how can it work for me a bit later on. <laughs> the baby spot is pretty peachy. However, objectively, I actually think my number four is in the sweet spot because you're young enough to be kind of cute and you can get away with stuff, but you can go under the radar as well. I think it's going to work out well for Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, we just described you in our introduction, all your achievements and your creativity and the family and all the things you do. It's many, many things that you do and they're all pretty successful. Everything you touch seems to, to work. But you do describe, and you're quite honest about it in your podcast, Spinning Plates, that it isn't always easy and finding ways of making work, career, family, but all of that work, you know, it's tricky. So for our listeners, what have you learned, do you think, that will be helpful to women who feel a little bit overwhelmed by everything at the moment? It's quite a common feeling, I think, after 40 to be a bit overwhelmed. Well, firstly, I wouldn't say everything I touched turns gold. I think, you know, I got given a good bit of advice really early on that no one's career is a kind of straight trajectory up. And once I sort of understood that, it made the lows and the highs actually easier to handle. It might sound a bit odd to say handling the highs, but actually I quite like it when things are kind of in quite a manageable space. And sometimes when momentum starts to build, that's when I can actually get a bit freaked out. Like, is my life about to change? You know, something not working out or something, you know, managing a disappointment is quite familiar if you're a musician, but managing when things go better than yeah. expected sometimes make you feel a bit claustrophobic. So for me, like, understanding the the roller coaster effect of, of what I get up to has actually been quite good for me. But then I think with the overwhelm feeling, I mean, golly, for me, it's good counsel. You know, I speak to my girlfriends a lot. I speak to my mum all the time. That casual offload of things and solidarity and, uh, you know, speaking to people who are in a similar position has always been really comforting. And then I think the casual little pauses in between things, I just really relish them. So Every day I walk the kids to school and then I walk home again. So I've got this sort of 20 minute, half hour walk where I'm kind of a bit off radar. I'm, I've got a purpose, but I can kind of use that time to think about my day, to maybe call someone if I need to, to listen to something if I need to. That's when I do a lot of research for my podcast guests, that kind of thing. It's like this little gap. And I really love those gaps. And then I think, um, what else? Probably just all the stuff that we're always trying to do, really, of... Uh, Trying to make sure that you sometimes prioritize yourself. It's pretty hard. I'm not brilliant at it, but I've definitely got better at being a bit selfish with my needs. I think it took me quite a long time to get to that point. And there's been lots and lots of tools I've used to get there. But mainly, I think it's been speaking to other women, actually. Um, I'm wondering if there's something about uh, being in your 40s. You're about to turn 44 in April, aren't you? Um, and you've said that it's a good time to reflect on where I am. Tell us what you're discovering about yourself in this decade and what you are looking forward to in your 40s. Whenever I've turned a new decade, I've always sort of had a kind of association with it. And I remember, especially in my 30s, I was really excited about that. I always knew I'd like it and I loved my 30s. So when I got to approaching 40, I was kind of trying to work out what does that mean? And I think for me, the big personal goal was to be a bit less apologetic about stuff and to try to be less of a people pleaser. That doesn't mean I'm being like really rude to everyone, but 
just trying to uh, be available to the things I want to be available for, but actually just draw a line quite quickly with things where I'm saying yes, and I really want to say no, because actually that's not really helping anyone in the fullness of time. But yeah, I'm going to be 44 in April, as you said. So I guess I'm nearing the halfway point. And actually, so far, there's a lot about it I really love. I like getting older in general, by the way. I didn't know how I'd feel about it, but I like it a lot more than I thought I would. Do you know of the, um, I mean, it's only been talked about, we think, in the last sort of three or four years, the menopause, the perimenopause, the kind of changing of your hormones, the changing of your body. Do you Are you aware of that? It's your generation. Because for me, interest, massive shock, complete shock, didn't mm. understand it, never heard the word perimenopause, reason yeah. we started the podcast in a way. Do you know about that? Have you got that in your mind? Are you aware of what you could do to support yourself? Yeah, I feel really grateful, actually, because I feel like I, when I was sort of in my, I suppose it would be early to mid 30s, I thought, this is weird. No one's really talking about the next bit. It sounds like it's quite a big deal, but nobody's really talking about it. And then sort of before I, I quite need it, it's all the resources have been put there for me. Yeah. So I feel really grateful. And I feel like the pathway is paved. Um, a lot better than it was and signposted and supported. I noticed um, I live in Chiswick and I noticed they've opened, they were opening a menopause clinic here soon and things like that. And I was like, oh, brilliant. You know, there's stuff going on and conversations being had. And for me, it feels like just before my foot falls on that stone in the water, that there's already going to be a stone there. So that's helpful. I don't think it's quite happening to me yet. A couple of girlfriends have been chatting about it. I haven't experienced any of the stuff that's on the list yet, but I feel like when that starts, I'm kind of aware of it now and I'll be looking out for it. So yeah, I find that tremendously comforting. Now, Dave Grohl said on the Graham Norton show, I was watching this clip, that you were the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen and you were so (laughs) cool about it. First things first, I was really nervous because I was on the show without singing. I don't really normally do chat shows and stuff where I'm not actually performing. So I was just being there to be interviewed. Then I found that Dave Grohl was on. I was like, well, that's lovely. He's an amazing guest. But also that's really, it really freaked me out because everybody loves Dave Grohl. And I was like, and he was talking before me and I was thinking, oh, he's really, you know, amazing and interesting. And I've just got to sit here and then, and then I've got to chat and it's just not going to be half as interesting. I think to be honest, my husband was more impressed with him saying that because Richard just adores Dave Grohl. He would probably leave me for Dave Grohl. I think we'd all leave our husbands for Dave Gold. But that, that whole idea of your, you know, being a really beautiful woman, your image, your identity, you've already said you're really embracing the idea of getting older. Have you, does image identity worry you about how that's going to change? I suppose from my point of view, um, I never grew up thinking like, oh, I'm one of the, you know, good looking people in life. Like when I remember being sort of 14, 15 and I mean, being quite disappointed with myself (laughs) and and then thinking, well, you know what, Uh, let's just not place too much value on it anyway and try and make sure I'm a well-rounded individual. (laughs) And all the women I really idolize in in music, it's all about how they put themselves out and their imagery and the, you know, the aesthetic of it. And it's really powerful and it's got nothing really to do with how well they'd look on like Love Island or something. It's much more about a character and personality. So I guess I've never really held that in massive, it's not been on a big pedestal. And for everybody that's ever said something really nice about the way I look, I've had just as many people say mm-hmm. really quite cruel things about the yeah. way I look. And that's been the case since I was old enough to pay attention. I mean, I remember the very, very first article I ever did when I was in 
my first band, The Audience. So I was 18 and the journalist started it off with saying, like, Sophie walks into the cafe and I can't work it out. Is she young? Is she old? Is she ugly? Is she beautiful? And I was like, oh, golly, I didn't even know I was being assessed. And also, okay, it's all up for people to comment on. And also no one really knows. And I used to have all sorts of things said about the way I looked. And I think I just never really placed massive value on it. Are you ever allowed to, entitled to look amazing all the time? I mean, who, who is that person? No. I think you've also got to pass on the baton of youth. It's, it's okay. I just want to look a good version of where I'm at. I'm happy with that. It's acceptance, isn't it, I guess, in a way. Do you keep fit? Are you a kind of, I mean, you do the dancing. I've seen the dancing. <laughs> that must work. Do you keep fit? Do you have a, what's your, what's your regime? What are you eating and all of that? I think I know the answer. Sophie doesn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do care. It's more just, I used to go to the gym quite a lot, but then I've fallen off that uh, wagon quite a while ago because I couldn't really find the time. So now I do lots of walking. I'm quite obsessed with my walking, actually. I find that really good for my head as well. So I'm quite a pacey little walker and I'll nip around town a lot and also just keeping really active. I don't really feel like I sit down for very long. But that being said, occasionally I'll drop in more of a structured thing. I mean, I say that to you now, I'm actually missing out on my husband's in the garden doing a boxing session, which he was like, come and join us. I was like, oh, I can't. I've got to do a chat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling really annoyed with you guys, honestly. <laughs> I do care, but I think I just try and keep myself uh, feeling good about things. And like, it's that balance, isn't it? And at the moment, I feel like there are other things that have demand on my time that I need to prioritize more than an hour in the gym. So I'm yeah. just finding other ways to feel good. I don't own a set of scales. I was always encouraged to just try and feel healthy and able. And I, I really appreciate how, how strong my body is and how well it's let me get on with the things I'm doing. Just over a year ago, I had to do a dancing challenge where I danced for 24 hours. And I was like, well, I managed that. That's cool. <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. You raised over a million pounds for children in need. Amazing. Dare I say it, it was fun. I just kind of keep about maintenance, really. If I feel like I'm not able to do the things I need to do and if the gigs get hard and struggling to keep singing while I'm jumping around, then I'll I'll add extra bits in. But for the time being, I feel like I feel quite good in myself, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think I'm more forgiving of myself as well. My body has definitely been in better shape, but I probably like it more now. Is that just happens when you get older? It I is. It's so. the acceptance, Lorraine, that you were talking about. But yeah. um, I think something else that, that brings us joy is You've talked about other female musicians and their image and how they put the whole thing together. Now, you literally live your life in a riot of colour and sparkle. We love it. I can see feathers behind you, bright green dresses. Now, Lorraine and I, being former magazine editors, we always sort of went to the default no of black, <laughs> which is so boring. But another thing that happens in midlife, and we hear this a lot from our listeners, is you really want to start embracing colour. And if you're someone like me who hasn't done that before, where do you recommend starting? How do I, how do I embrace colour, Sophie? I think it's really simple. You go for the things that just give you that lift. It's a fine line, though. It's a fine line. You can't just <laughs> after. It's quite. I found it quite hard after wearing black for so long to try and find a colour that didn't make me look like I'd run through Oxfam at 100 miles an hour and grabbed everything, <laughs> and then thought oh, I'll put a hat on as well. I mean, I just couldn't quite work out how where to start. But it's kind of intrinsic in your image. The kind of the colour and the brightness and the sparkle. Yeah. And I mean, I love it in my home too. My house is very colourful. There's lots of things everywhere. But I don't, I suppose like with anything, you can't like force something on yourself. But that being said, 
if you go at your own pace and you try things out, I mean, maybe, I don't know, it's when you're with your girlfriends and you try something on and they go, actually, that looks really good on you. Or, you know, you think you've got something you've bought and you don't know why, but it resonated with you or something you found. And then one day you put it on, you think, oh God, everybody's going to comment on it and I'm not sure. And then you wear it and actually think that wasn't such a big deal. And people just said, that looks nice on you or I love that color too. And then it's like, you sort of slowly, slowly broaden your outlook because you realize that no one else is thinking about it as much as you are anyway. So you might as well. Mm-hmm. No one's looking mm-hmm. at you, as my mum used to say. Yeah. <laughs> I follow quite a lot of um, people on Instagram where they really wear really colourful things. Or they, I mean, I love my vintage, so got a lot of like-minded souls out there. And I think that there's always someone more eccentric than you, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favourite outfit? Oh, God, what, just one? Oh, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm a bit of a collector and a recognised quite early on that I get quite a lot of like half happy hormones from just looking at colors next to each other and being surrounded by it. I mean the opposite of where I'm sitting now is just a wall of those all these hooks on the doors and on the wall and it's just covered with clothes and I just get a lot of pleasure just from looking at stuff and being surrounded by it for me sometimes it's not even about wearing things I mean I was joking to Richard my husband the other day that when I die they can open this very small very eccentric little museum of all the rubbish I've been but I don't even know what half it's for, but I'll go on eBay and I'll be like, yes, I do want three vintage cheerleader outfits. And <laughs> I've got ice, there's drawers behind me and they literally say ice skating outfits, leotards. Like, I don't know where I'm going with all this stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> I like the story of the clothes. And yeah, I just, I just do genuinely believe as well. There's always someone pushing it so much further than you. So don't be afraid. It's, it's only clothes. Like, you know, if it doesn't work out, just give it to someone who'll love it. Now, You've mentioned Richard, um, your lovely husband who's boxing in the garden. Uh, It's an incredible partnership because you got together, you were pregnant within six weeks and you've been together ever since and you've had five boys and, you know, that is a lot of stress on any kind of relationship. You perform together, your parents, you live together. What do you think he would say about you and the relationship if we asked him? And what's your it's hard to give advice, isn't it? Because everyone's individual circumstances. And what other kind of tenants of staying close in, in that kind of long relationship? So you must have been 24, I guess, when you met? Uh, I think a bit younger than that, actually. Um, I think we were 22 when we met. Mm. We didn't know each other for a year before we started dating. And so we met when Richard was auditioning to be part of my band for my first ever UK solo tour. We always really got on and it wasn't until I think over a year later that we thought, oh, actually, maybe there's a bit more to this than we thought. Someone was asking me yesterday when we go, we're about to go on tour next week. And so Richard plays bass guitar. I'm obviously singing. My brother Jack is on drums. And someone was saying, oh, what's it like if you have a falling out with your brother or with your husband and there's a domestic on tour? I said, well, it doesn't really happen because... Richard's a really good bass player and I trust him implicitly with his instinct about playing bass. And likewise, I do my job and it's nothing to do with what he's doing. So we're not really encroaching on each other's bass with that, really. There's a crossover, but we're not, I'm not telling him how to play the bass and he's not telling me how to sing a song. I mean, obviously, we're not like skipping around the house all the time. We have <laughs> moments where we're driving each other crazy like every couple. But I think by and large, the things that, that we're good at and where we support each other is there's, there's quite a lot of yin and yang. I think that's a little bit luck of the draw, actually. 
And when I first started dating Richard, I'd never really dated anyone like him before. I think I'd always gone for for boys that weren't very good for me, really. And he was the first person I dated where I thought, you're actually a really good man. You're kind. You're smart. You really listen to me. And I think that meant that we both had the space to balance each other. My mum said about my lovely stepdad, John, she said, you know, you're with someone who's right for you if you always think they're a little bit of a better person than you are. And I actually think there's a lot of truth in that. It's nice to feel you're with someone that elevates you. And Mm. I do understand that not everybody's lucky enough to experience that. I don't think everybody does have that in their life. I think it's luck, a lot of luck. And you agree on all the parenting? Because certainly, you know, with our four, the joy was that we kind of agreed on everything. And we hadn't really discussed that before we had four children, (laughs) whether we would agree on the discipline. And there was no kind of gap between... What I thought was, you know, and he is he is a slightly nicer person than I am and a lot more patient. <laughs> but with is that hard to neg- navigate that parenting? Because also all the boys are different, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Five very different people who want different things from us. And I think all the broad brushstroke stuff was all there from the get-go, really. And you're right. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, you can't possibly work out how you're going to feel about every scenario because how do you imagine raising a human before you're there doing it? I mean, it's just it's a lot to take on and also it evolves you know parenting the big boys is very different to our youngest two so we do sometimes come up against things and you think oh I don't know how I felt that I remember people saying when you have a baby and then they get to being sort of two three four and people go oh it's great because their personality is really coming out now but I think the same thing happens as a parent you you're where you choose to lead them what you want to introduce them to the kind of days out you want to have what where you find your fun that all starts to blossom as well. So some of it's unexpected, but yeah, by and large, we do feel the same. And if there are anything, the only thing we've ever really felt like slightly different side of the track is about, funny enough, about practicing instruments because I'm really relaxed and I think I haven't made made the kids do anything no. like that. Richard's like, if they're going to do the lessons, they should do the practice. And I'm like, but if they're not interested, it's just extra stress trying to encourage them to do something they don't really want to do. So I think that's the only thing we've ever really felt a bit divided on. Mm-hmm. And are you ready for the the leaving home? Because I'm just putting it out there. But my first one went, I just thought, oh, well, people are making a terrible fuss about this. They shouldn't. <laughs> oh, my God. It was just awful. It was the biggest grief just to not have her to have been six of us, then to be five of us. It was a massive, massive shock. Are you ready for that? Because you're nearing that, aren't you now? I am very aware of all that. And I've been thinking about it a lot because I have been gently encouraging my eldest. He's going to be 19 in April. And I've been gently encouraging that when he gets to the summer, he move in with my mum. So she's 10 minutes down the road. She now lives on her own. They adore each other. I think that's a very good next step for him to get him a bit more independent, a bit less, you know, people kind of watching where he is and asking lots of questions all the time, but still someone who really cares about him keeping an eye on him too. Yeah. So I think it's, I think that'd be good for him, but I do, I'm very aware it's going to be hard for me. I, I go and speak to him every day. I really value our chats. I ask him advice about tons of stuff. He studies design and he's helped me with my album cover that's coming out. He's got really good instincts and I'm like, oh God, I'm gonna, how am I going to cope without having him there but I know it's what's I I know it's right for him Mm. I have to just kind of go get on with it really I just hope that we can easily keep the casual communication Mm. I hope it doesn't turn into something where it's 
harder work because that's what I love, isn't it? I mean, they can just mm, yeah. door and see them anytime. But yeah, it's going to feel really weird. But I love that you said in the cookbook uh, that you wrote with Richard in the introduction that you made a promise together about your boys that they would leave home being able to cook and able to dance. I mean, how's that going? Good. Yeah. To be honest, the dancing is easier than the cooking. I mean, that's just, you know, I, guess, <laughs> I think if you're someone that can dance, like it's just such a lovely quality in a bloke to feel at ease with himself in his body and to feel able to show when he's enjoying music. I just think that's really lovely. You know, I'm also encouraging hip dancing, which is going particularly well with my youngest too, because a lot of them don't really move their hips that much when they dance. But it's great <laughs> when you watch a guy who can really dance. I think it's really, really exciting. So yeah, I think that's gone okay. We've also very much normalized dancing around the place. That's fine. But the cooking is a little bit of a slower thing because you have to actually really want to, you have to be excited about the idea of making yourself something to eat. And I've got some kids that are really into it and will pull up a stool and stand next to me and get, get involved and others that are not quite so fussed. Mm. So I think that's a bit trickier. But then there's a necessity, isn't there? You actually do need to eat. So you might as well make yourself something you like. Yeah, it's got to be more than pasta pesto yeah. that they leave home with. Oh, my God. I think I'm running out of time with my eldest, to be honest. He's one of those people, he likes food, but he doesn't, like the rest of us get so excited. We can go to bed excited about what we're going to eat the next day, whereas he's a bit like, meh. <laughs> Food is food is and food. And how are yeah. you? So you've five boys. So I've got three girls and a boy. So how are you dealing with bringing up teenage boys in this time? So we do a lot of parenting um, talk uh, on the show, and we've had lots of parenting experts. And actually, we focus kind of on girls because of the Me Too situation and and all the discussions around consent, etc. But has as a mum of boys. How do you navigate that? How do you talk to your boys about what's happening in the world around them? Have you got any concerns about Because I think it's probably really mm. hard for boys in terms of role models and what they see on the TV and all the stuff all they get on their phones. toxic masculinity out there. It's hard, isn't yeah. it, for them? A lot of messaging. I think we've taken a lot of lead actually from Sonny because he's a very right, yeah. empathetic soul. Always was since he was tiny. And he kind of led the way for a lot of those conversations when he was really quite young. He was very aware of toxic masculinity as a topic and he would talk about what he'd witnessed and what he'd seen. And he's got quite, I'm not saying he's a saint, but he's he was quite unusually perceptive. And I think that helped because around the table, we would have these chats about things as he was figuring it out. And then I suppose I know there are some women I've spoken to who have sons who say, oh, I think it's actually really hard for boys now. And I'm like, hang on a minute. Is it? I mean, what we're really encouraging is kindness, to listen to people, to want to make sure that there's consent, to not make anyone feel uncomfortable. I like to think I'd be trying to instill those values in my kids no matter what. It's really important for, for young women that they feel they have that voice. And I would hope that no matter what the, you know, the, the cultural backdrop, I would hope I was raising boys that are feminists and would want to champion that even if that wasn't the dialogue outside of our house. With girls, I always felt in a strong place. I knew what I was talking about. But with my son, I think, do I, what is he seeing? What, what's influencing him outside of the home that I don't know about, that I can't, I don't need to know about everything anyway, because he should be independent at 16. But it's interesting. I think it's an interesting, mm. but you're right. It's just about being equal, isn't it? And that these are human rights, really, more than... <laughs> I actually find it quite reassuring when I remember that they are being exposed to conversations with their friends, going to their friends' houses and their parents and all that stuff. Because I think sometimes as 
as their mum, I feel like, oh my God, I've got to be the encyclopedia of everything. And when I remember that they are being informed all over the place with messaging, and a lot of it, I think, is really positive because you have your family culture, don't you? And so the things you're watching, the discussions you're having, the news stories you talk about, the TV shows you watch together, all that stuff is all feeding in. I actually find that quite reassuring because it reminds me that there's a whole lot of people all singing from the same hymn sheet that we can introduce them to. So if they're not listening to me, they might hear it from my brother. They might hear it from, you know, an artist they really love the music of or something. So they kind of get the same messages, you know, repeated over and over. I think that for me takes the pressure off a little bit. And it's something I think we didn't have though, wasn't it? As In our teenage years, and we were probably early 20s when you were a teenager in the 90s as women, we didn't, it was a really different time and it was sort of slightly toxic in its own way, wasn't it? In terms of the culture around having to be a ladette or having to be this. I mean, did you, especially breaking into the music industry at that time, how did you find that? Firstly, what's quite nice is that I found that really tricky at the time and it wasn't until... I was writing an autobiography a couple of years ago and I was looking back over lots and lots of newspaper clippings and some watching some old footage. And I was like, oh, it wasn't just in my head. That really was, it felt the way it looked. <laughs> but also speaking to peers and understanding they felt exactly the same made me feel a lot better because I thought, oh, golly, I thought it was just me. I thought everybody else was really keeping up with it all. And I was the one who felt like I was just putting on a front. But yeah, it was definitely tricky and not healthy. And so much of it now, we would be so shocked if people were asking those questions on interviews now. But it was a bit like being thrown to the lions a little bit, particularly as someone who was, you know, self-proclaimed quite square. I found a lot of it just mortifying, like absolutely mortifying. I didn't know how to handle half of it. But you were so young. You were 17. I just think about my 17-year-old daughter being asked some of the questions. We had Louise from Sleeper on on the show uh, as well, and she talked about the similar thing, just being asked these outrageous questions by male mm. interviewers who, you know, it just is so of its time. And even, but looking back, you think, how do you process all that as a teenager? It's really, it must have been quite cathartic writing about it, because I guess getting it out. Yeah, really powerful, actually. There's something really brilliant about being able to articulate as a you know much older person, how you felt then and realizing that that gap, that gray area has now all been much more, what's the word, defined than, than I felt like it was at the time. Yeah, I loved it. I loved having the power to sort of go back to a younger me and say, okay, I can now help you vocalize what it was you were feeling and how it made you, yeah, how it made you feel emotionally. So I, I really quite enjoyed that. But then, you know, I say that from a standpoint of I started writing from what I would call, you know, a happy ending, you know, and there's no bitterness. It's just an experience. And some people had it so much worse, of course. Now you have a new album out, Hannah, H-A-N-A, um, which was based on your trip to Japan. Tell us about the album. It means blossom, doesn't it? I think Hannah in uh, Japanese. Tell us about that, putting that together. So yeah, so the trip you mentioned to Japan was very special because it was just my mum and my eldest boy, the three of us that went for a week to Japan. And as it turned out, it was about three weeks before we entered the first lockdown. So quite an extraordinary little trip in terms of, you know, I'd never been there before. It was an amazing place. We all kind of wanted slightly different things out of it. But we also had a lot of crossover with the three generations, some really good conversations, and then came home and everything kind of tilted. And I just started songwriting the album at that point. And it's the third album I've done with a guy called Ed Harcourt. And we've always had 
a kind of landscape in our head of where we're writing. So the first one we did was Wonderlust, which was sort of Eastern European. Then we did one that was Latin American sort of flavor for Familia. And this one we thought, oh, Japan. So it was all my ideas of what Japan would be like. And then, yeah, it just became a very protracted thing because we were writing over the course of lockdown. But it's definitely an optimistic record. That's why I wanted the the name about Blossom because it's kind of the new buds after you've had the winter, really. I am a pretty optimistic person. And even though I went through quite a lot, obviously everybody has their own story about what that, you know, two years we don't like to talk about was like for them. But I lost my stepdad and, you know, there was lots going on like that. And obviously the kitchen discos and family time. So I kind of wanted a space to write about all of it. So it's all in there. But mostly it's happy, I think. Now, we have to ask about your mum, Janet, because, of course, she is an icon for for all of us Gen Xers. I know you'd probably never get through an interview without being asked about her. We'd love to know what you think, if you just had to pick two or three, what are the kind of most important life lessons she's given you, apart from the fact of maybe nicking Blue Peter Badgers when (laughs) the opportunity? (laughs) As my own uh, enterprise, I'm afraid. (laughs) No criminal shade on my mum. Well, I think she was a single parent with me for quite a while. And I think that became like the sort of keystone of our relationship, really, that we had that time together. We've always been very close. She's brilliant at advice. And I think she's got quite a pragmatism about about life and emotions. That means that she can, she's had to deal with quite a lot of loss and change, but she's always someone that finds yeah, finds a sort of pragmatic optimism to where she's at. And she's very, still very active. She's always going out. I mean, honestly, if I phone her, she's always out doing something. She's at a gallery. She's seeing a friend. She's going to the theatre. And I think being a curious person throughout your life is just a lovely quality. And I actually think she also set a very good template for, for getting older and embracing it. And she just really, yeah, embraced each new bit of her life. And at 60, she signed a, her first book deal and wrote, a couple of um, fiction books and she's just writing a third. And I just think that's so cool. <laughs> oh, she sounds lovely. She sounds like the best mum. May she adopt me, do you think, Sophie? <laughs> <laughs> I can ask. Well, oh, listen, thank you thank so you. much for joining oh, us today, you. Sophie. It's been so lovely talking to you. Um feel very energised and joyful. <laughs> and I'm going to go and play some kitchen disco songs right now. It'll put a spring in your step if you put some disco on, I promise. <laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here we are at the part of the show we love the best, I think. (laughs) It's our step back in time. It's a nostalgia noodle. Lovely listening to Sophie. She is one long nostalgia noodle in a way, isn't she? Because those songs are so much part of our past. Anyway, back we go in the time TARDIS. So today I was thinking about after school rituals because in my life, I've not often been there after school, (laughs) Uh, but in my new life, um, I'm there quite a bit more because obviously flexible working from home. So I see little 11 year old Mabel coming in. She's number four. Um, And I was thinking about rituals because I always make her a cup of tea and I give her some rich tea biscuits, even though she's Mm. probably eaten a thousand sweets on the way home. It's because you won't share your hobnobs with her, will you? No one has the hobnobs, Trish. No one has them. And I was thinking back to when I was little. My mum worked at home and was home a lot. And she used to make me, Trish, a crisp sandwich. Oh, delicious. (laughs) White bread. Delicious. With butter. Lots of butter. Butter and crisps, salted crisps. Salted crisps. Sometimes salt and vinegar, never cheese and onion. Oh, no, too strong. What yes. What about that? Did you have little rituals when you came home? Oh, well, I was thinking more of sort of unusual tea time food that really? parents make for you. Yes. And um, that's what prompted me when you said crisp sandwich. So mine is something my mum used to make, which I just assumed everybody had, but apparently it was it was only us. I mean, maybe you, you might correct me here. She used to do grated carrots and grated cheese mixed up together. And she always used to go to British home stores specifically in Wembley to buy this big block of Lancashire cheese. I don't know why. Used to have a British home store. Used to have a big cheese counter. Anyway, she'd mix up the grated carrots and the grated cheese in salad cream. And it was absolutely delicious. Was it? Think about that. It's absolutely delicious. And I obviously always hoped that we were getting that rather than the sort of liver and stuffed hearts. And and that's it was always dreadful. Oh, no, the other (laughs) stuff. We have talked about the hideous boiling of the... Corned beef hash. The dread coming home. So when I knew it was the great carrots and cheese, oh, delightful. And I do it now in a jacket potato, but not salad cream. Can't do salad cream anymore. No, it's, that, it's inedible Sweet. salad cream. Yeah. I don't like it at yeah. all. You've never witnessed one of your teenagers making a sandwich then, because some of those things they put in sandwiches is quite unpleasant. Oh, God. Yes, it is quite shocking. Fried egg and some sausages and some and lots of ketchup, ketchup and brown sauce at the same time. All of that is just like cancer ham, as we call it. (laughs) Yes, and obviously smeared on all the worktop counters. A lot of clearing up to do. They say, "Get me the cheapest, cheapest ham you possibly can." Stop buying that nice stuff. And I say, "But Mm. I can't buy it to you because there's this survey that says that it could cause cancer ham. It's really bad for you. Any of this processed meat." And they say, "Don't care." And there they go, making these disgusting cancer ham sandwiches for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Postcards from Midlife. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, could we ask you a little favour, please? Can you follow or subscribe to us on your podcast provider and maybe leave a short review bigging us up? bigging up the singing we really appreciate the feedback and uh, and the love that we feel from our listeners and don't forget we're selling out of tickets for our live two-day festival on the 19th and 20th of may at london's business design center in islington so please do go on to the website postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk so you can get yours before it's too late and do tell all your friends about us because we want as many women as possible to join in this midlife conversation Come over and join in on our private Facebook group. All you have to do is answer three very simple questions and agree to abide by Trisha's rules, um, which is what we've all agreed to in life anyway. Yes. Um, if, you're, <laughs> if you're not a member, we'd love you to come over and we can welcome you there. Uh, you can use it to post any feedback on the topics we discuss, as well as suggestions for things you would like to hear talked about on the show. We are there on the on the Facebook group and on the Instagram personally. We don't have assistance. There's not a bank of people replying for us. So if you ask a question, Trish and I, one of us will answer. If you want to talk to us privately, you can email us at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com. Goodbye. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.